0: Unto the all Lord, do I lift up. class is looking at the first 5 books of the Bible Genesis through Deuteronomy. We have another class that's going on in the annex that is looking at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels. So if you would like to participate in that class, you are certainly welcome to do so. Otherwise, welcome and thank you for participating tonight. I, I, I want to sing a song I find that it gets the blood flowing in people so let's let's sing a song together and then we'll have a prayer and begin our class 391391 three, mm-hmm. Savior, like the shepherd I Father in heaven, thank you for a great day today and thank you for the privilege that we've already enjoyed of being together to worship in spirit and in truth. We're thankful Father that we have this afternoon that we can study your word together and I pray that it'll be helpful to all of us to review these things about the word that you've laid down on pages that we can read and I pray that we can gather some knowledge that will help us better in our studies. Lord, uh, I pray that you'll be with uh, the sick that we have who are members of this congregation, that they'll revive and get better. And thank you for those who are here tonight that have been sick and been restored. We thank you that uh, circumstances are getting better, that we can meet and feel more freedom and I just pray that that will continue and thank you for the blessing of that. And be with us, Lord, help us to um, employ the things that we know to encourage and better one another in our general understanding of your word in Jesus name. Amen. Okay, as I mentioned, we're we're studying uh, five first five books of the Bible. Actually, those five books are In the Hebrew, referred to as Torah, anybody remember what that word means? Just throw it out there, you know, I don't have have you raise your hand, just like if you're going to say, instruction, I say, yeah, that's one, or the other word would be law, yeah, that's the word.
1: And then uh, another way it's
0: actually referred to is by Greek, a Greek designation, that would be the word Pentateuch, and that means what, you remember? Uh, Five books. Uh, Penta is kind of the, the key word there. You know, probably that word refers to five of something. Pentagon. So Pentateuch, five books. Okay, so we're looking at those five books. Those actually constitute what's considered to be the first division of the Hebrew canon. And the word canon refers to what? Not something that goes kaboom and shoots a lead ball out, but Okay, the gathering of the books, the books that are recognized as being inspired. So the Jews recognized what we have in our possession as being books, depending on what sect of the Jews you are a part of. Some of them actually only held to these first five books that we're going to be talking about. But that's the first section of Canon. And we mentioned last time that even Jesus referred to those as he was talking about the Law and the Prophets and the Psalms, uh, all those were testifying of Jesus, Psalms being the books of poetry. So we're looking at the section recognized as the Law, or the Law having been penned by God's human instrument, Moses, so we just generally refer to them as the Law of Moses, okay? So we got those, that's the general grouping. This is going to be the second lesson. Hopefully this will be the completion of our study of an overview of the book of Genesis. Genesis has 50 chapters in it, so we're not going verse by verse, and it's not really necessary to, given the fact that I simply gave you an assignment, right? Remember the assignment? And don't you love assignments? We're going to read uh, together on our own the book's of Genesis through Deuteronomy. So my encouragement to you is, which I'm sure you've already done, already read the book of Genesis as a refresher and kind of have those stories in your mind, but next week we'll begin our study of Exodus, that Lord willing, we'll go for a couple of weeks, then Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, like that. So in anticipation of those studies, I'm hoping that you'll go ahead and read those books. It will not take you very long to do, and it will, it will help you kind of envision what's going on in our study together. Now, we looked at some, some general information about the books last time. For instance, I mentioned to you about the book of Genesis, kind of a unique feature. Its, it's Hebrew name is Bereshith, and the word Bereshith actually comes from where in the book of Genesis? It's, it's the very first word out of the Hebrew text, and it's, its translation is the first phrase that you have in the book of Genesis, in the beginning. And I told you, I just find it remarkable. I don't think it's just a coincidence that this is true, but it just seems like Every single one of these books begins not, not just with a great introduction, but that introduction that ultimately translates itself into the name of the book also tends to be kind of the theme of the entire book. For instance, okay, we've got Bereshith in the Hebrew. In the Greek, it's the name that you have in your Bible, Genesis, which also means beginning or origin. And you know that not only is that just a phrase that kicks off a description of one particular origin or beginning, but actually as a theme, that idea of beginnings runs through the entire book. So I just think it's remarkable that will not only happen here in the book of Genesis, we will see it happening in all five of these books. So just, just a heads up to you as you're beginning your study. And just try to be aware of how some of those some of those themes develop and run through a book. Okay, so tonight I want us to look at... I'm trusting that you've read through the book or at least you have a working memory of what's happened in the book of Genesis. I want us to look at some special features that run through this book that actually actually are foundational to a lot of other things that happen throughout the scriptures. And I mentioned last time, as I will remind us and and probably keep hitting on this, that everything that you find developed in the rest of the Bible, beyond the book of Deuteronomy, all of those things that happen and the explanations that are given and the great detail that's that's added to doctrines and, and just the whole basis of theology, thinking about God himself. A lot of all that happens in the rest of the Bible finds its root right here in these first five books. And much of that, you can find its root right here in the book of Genesis. So, special features. When I think of the book of Genesis, I think of it as a great book. And so I'm thinking God has, God has revealed some extraordinary things through his servant Moses. And they are there for us to absorb and to take both at face value, but the more we read, the deeper we go and the better we become in understanding the things of God. The first thing that becomes apparent is that this is a great book related to prehistory, prehistoric Times, or you might even go to the creation. I know sometimes when we think prehistoric, we start thinking about dinosaurs, right? But what we're talking about is the idea of something that is describing for us a period of time that is prehistory or pre written history. Now, I will tell you, there are some ancient documents besides the Bible. There are documents that are written in stone. Uh, There are great Babylonian documents, but you know, that that doesn't predate written history. It comes on the heels of the beginning of writing, so that's not it. We have the Gilgamesh epic, which is, many people think, a Gentile description of an account of the flood that's described there in the book, of Genesis. However, Genesis covers that beginning in chapter six, when it starts talking about Noah, right? So we're talking about the description of events that not only are before the flood, but as you know, go to the very, well, the very beginning (laughs) to the creation of the world. So before anybody was ever writing anything down, Moses, who is a writer, who is Uh, enabled by his education, being raised up in Egypt and having the capability of uh, the scribal uh, work, is able to write down those things that are necessary to give an account of the events, not just that were taking place in his own time, which we will eventually get to when we get into the book of Exodus, but those things that predated his life and even writing itself. So God's going to reveal prehistory. He's going to reveal the prehistoric. He's going to take us back to the details of creation. Now, why is it that God wants us to know something about all of that? Why not just start with an account of one man's experience in his own life? Why, Why do we have all of that? Okay, so the account that's given demonstrates the the power of God, that's true. What is it, what is something that you know about human nature? For instance, if there were not this written document, what would you know about yourself? Not just generally humanity, but about yourself. I want to (laughs) know, you know, I'm like, hey, what? Okay, I I get it, Uh, Moses, you're leading these people out of Egyptian bondage. How'd they get into bondage? Or you're leading a people that they're a nation right now. How did they become a nation? You know, who are these people? They talk about Abraham. Who is that guy? Uh, They talk about being different from everybody else. Why is that that they're different? Uh, Where did we come from? And by the way, there are some great questions that people ask, and one of them is about our origin. Why do I exist? Where did I come from? Now, what's interesting about that is God doesn't start with a question. You know, the Bible doesn't begin by asking the question, so you wonder where you came from. It doesn't start that way. In fact, it isn't necessarily an apologetic sort of document at all. Now, you understand apologetics, right? Apologetics is the science of trying to give an answer or to prove a certain question. You ask a question, I want to give you the answer. I want to give you the apology. I want to give you the evidence of why I think it is this way. The Bible doesn't go into apologetics. Now, we use it for that, you know, we'll say, well, now, uh, here's the answer to that question. You can go over to Genesis chapter 5, verse 6, and right there it is. No, not that. But it just makes declaration after declaration. It's just like, he- here's how it is. Here is a fact, and if you're developing, by that time, a person of faith, if you're a person of faith, here is something for you to wrap yourself around. In the beginning, God, that God that you're trusting, the God that you have faith in, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I ask the question, where did I come from? Well, I can go and if I trust God, God says that he created it. He brought it about. And so I have my answer. I move on to the next question. Well, where did man come from? And then I have chapter after chapter of a description, not only of the origin of man, but how man became who he was. So by the time we get to a man by the name of Moses... We already have the history to then begin to understand why this is such an epic tale of a delivery from an oppressive nation for a, a subjugated nation to become not just a separated people in the sense that they're different from everybody else, but that there is something special about them in that God's made promises relative to them and he is working his story through them. A second thing that I think is, is kind of extraordinary about the book has to do with the idea of beginnings. Now, we said the, the book starts with in the beginning, but it is a theme that runs throughout that book, right? In the first chapter, you if you were questioning where it is that we came from, we have the account of the beginning of everything, the beginning of the universe. In chapters one and two, if you were wondering where man came from, you have great descriptions of the creation of man. In the first chapter, you have a general description of the creation of mankind. In the second chapter, you have a detailed description of how the male was created first and then the female in accompaniment to him. So that you start off with one humanity, then a part of that humanity is split off to create a second part of humanity. Now we have two that now come back together as a couple to become one. The two become in effect that one flesh again. So they started out as one flesh. God takes from the side of man, and creates the woman as a helper suitable to him. And now in marriage, they come back together. The two become the one flesh again. That's, that's the picture of humankind, of humanity. In chapter 3, you have the introduction of sin, and then subsequently death. But also accompanying that in chapter 3, verse 15, you have God's remedy for that. And so we have the promise that then is started there in that text and carries throughout history, being established or finalized in Jesus Christ as as the seed. In chapter 4, you have the Basically, the beginning of families with the introduction of the two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. But then, you know, you also have a description of sacrifice and worship. And then uh, all of a sudden now we have a death to ensue. In chapters four to five, uh, chapter nine, four to nine, you have the description of civilization itself, how that's being developed. And several several lines are described through that. In chapters 10 and 11, you have the introduction of languages and then the establishment of nations and races. any question about where people come from, all of the root of that is described in those chapters. Which brings us, see, all that's kind of general information. You want to know? Here's kind of the explanation of that. But when you get to chapter 12, now you're starting in chapter 12 with Abraham going all the way through chapter 50, the description of the setting apart of the Hebrews to become the great Hebrew nation, uh, later known as Israel or the Jews once they return from captivity. That group of people are established and then the rest of the Bible kind of reflects back on the development of all of those things. Now here's something that I, I don't know, I think about sometimes is from the very beginning of the Bible, you have the introduction of death and suffering, uh, lots, of, lots of pain and anguish. And then by the time you get through all of God's story, even the depiction of what is to come, what had been in terms of a very destructive negative thing resolves itself right there in Revelation 21 and verse four, right? God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death or sorrow or crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. In effect, the idea of that curse that ensued because of sin is ultimately going to be set aside. I just, I don't know, I think those are great bookends. I just think that's a beautiful picture. Okay, and then it's also a great book of generations. Okay, if you're taking notes, here is, here is a Hebrew word. I'll spell it for you, and then I'll give you my rendition of what it sounds like. Okay, it's spelled T-O-L-E-D-O-T, Telodot, or Telodot. That word literally means generations, or descendants. It also can mean the history of a person. Now actually in the book of Genesis, the book is broken down, and here's another great thing about this book, there are all kinds of interesting little themes and divisions all through this book. As regards the idea of the generations, there are actually ten separate designations, and, and I think these are pretty cool. Okay, so first, there are the generations of the heavens and the earth, and when you talk about the generations of the heaven and earth, you're talking about the history of the heavens and the earth. In other words, here's where the heavens and the earth came from. That's the idea behind the generation. Then the second one is the idea of Adam's generations. Okay, so in that, you have Adam and then his named descendants so that has to go along with genealogies and then after Adam you have Noah and this is to me this is kind of interesting because you have the generations of Noah that starts in chapter 6 but then you don't have a list you have a list eventually of his three sons but it goes in just a great description of the events of his life related to the flood so when I see that word there I still see the separation because it's a significant transition in the book, but actually this time, again, he flips back to the idea of the history of a person. So this is talking about the significant history of the life of Noah. Then following that, you have what's called the genealogy of the sons of Noah. Now, that actually goes just to talk about the three, how that Shem, Ham, and Japheth kind of branched out, and some of the descendants in each line. But then it goes on to talk about the sin that occurred, especially with Ham with and his disrespect, dishonor of his father. Following that, then, you have the genealogy of Shem. When you start with Shem, now you've got you're back onto a line that's ultimately going to lead us to the fulfillment of the original promise that was made to Abraham, right? That's the seed line. So the line of Sheth, the generations of Sheth is going to be pretty significant to follow. Then you have another major generation, and that is of Terah. Anybody know who Terah was? Because it's a big deal. Got a whole section. Caleb was the father of Abraham. Yes, thank you very much. Okay, so you say, why didn't it say the generation of Abraham? Okay, wait a minute. We're 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 setting up families and his fa- his father 's name is significant in the line that is established, and you you 've got Abraham breaking himself away from his traditional land, headed toward a land that he doesn 't know and it 's just to me it 's a beautiful instead of just starting here 's abraham and here 's his line. you start back of him, and you recognize, oh wait a minute, Abraham who becomes effectively the father of the faithful actually himself was a part of a family and so what we're watching is god's hand as he is separating out a people from its traditional connection with you know the, the family of Terah so Abra- abraham is going to break himself off of a large important family uh, all all descended there from from shem i think that's pretty neat okay so you have abraham and then, interestingly, you're going to also have the generations of Ishmael. Wait a minute. Was Ishmael a part of the line that goes to the satisfaction of the seed promise? No. No, actually not. Well, who is Ishmael? Okay, he was, he was Abraham's son, Abram's son, uh, but not the son of promise. However, did God just leave him to fend for himself and, you know, he's just going to forget about that guy? No. There is a description of his line as well. As I'm reading through that, I'd be going like, well, whatever happened to Ishmael? What do I have that poor guy? Boy, he just, he was given a raw deal. Not so. Did God take care of him and his generations? He absolutely did because God is always what? Starts with an F. God is always faithful. And so you, you know, you didn't ask for it, maybe, but God just inserts that in there for us to be able to follow. Then he gives the generations of Isaac, which essentially turns out to be a history of Isaac's life. Why is that significant? Well, he's the son of promise, right? He, he is the one who kicks off the fulfillment of that seed promise. One son that eventually is going to be the first of a grouping of descendants for Abraham that are greater than the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. Wow. Okay, so we start with the one and that's significant. Okay, then you uh, have his son, Jacob. Why is it important that we learn about the generations of Jacob? Because Jacob's name ultimately is changed to... Israel, and Israel is the father of many nations, but, but specifically the tribes. And w- what we're going to do is we're going to be setting up the tribal system that then will kind of be fleshed out in the book of Exodus later. But you, you're having the beginnings of all that. And, and also, there are the generations of Esau. Why is that important? First of all, and uh, we talked about this last time, but who came first, uh, Jacob or Esau? Esau was the firstborn son. Esau had the birthright. Esau had the blessing coming to him. He lost both of them. Both of those went to Jacob. So I, I want to know about Esau because, well, wait a minute. Again, did God just cast him off because of his unfaithfulness? Or did God set up princes and and nations after him? Well, you know the answer. Again, God is always faithful. God sees to the people who are a part of his plan. Did Esau do a a crazy, uh, irresponsible thing? Yes, he did. Let me ask you this. Have you ever done? a crazy or irresponsible thing. Just shake your head this way. No, you never have. But if you have, will God just cast you off and forget you? No, God will not. God will take great pains to watch after you. So those are, those are 10 setups all throughout the book of Genesis that that help us to know the story, to see that that story is significant. Okay, we're going to talk about the generations of, okay, stop, I need to pay close attention to how this thing unfolds so that I can have a better perspective, number one, of God's unfolding plan, how that's going to work out. And number two, that God is always always faithful. Absolutely, He is. Absolutely. He is faithful to forgive. OK, this is also a great book of the patriarchs. Um, who are the three primary patriarchs that are studied in this book? In fact, almost almost the bulk of this book. from chapter 12 all the way through chapter 50, deal with these three patriarchs? Who are these guys? Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Are those names significant at all in the history? <laughs> They're the guys, right? So if you ever again, if we ever had any question about, well, what is the significance of these guys? What, what about the, what about those promises that were made? What, what is all that about? We have the history of that. We have the, and here's another thing. Was Abraham a perfect man? And you do not say no with hesitation, do you? He's kind of like a David story. He made mistakes all along. He made terrible mistakes. And yet, within him was the same desire that David is described as having in Acts chapter 14. And that is, his desire was to do the will of God. Yeah, he messed up. Yeah, he stumbled over all kinds of good intentions. However, at the end of the story, here is a man who, despite those mistakes, continued to get right back up and trust God that even though he was a mess, God was not a mess. And when God made the promise, God was going to see it through no matter what. What about Isaac? Isaac Isaac's a pretty good guy, right? I don't know. We don't really talk much about Isaac, but here's the thing about Abraham. Abraham lied about being married to his sister when actually she was a sister. You know who else lied about his wife? Mr. Isaac lied about his wife too. For the same reason, for fear that someone's going to take her. Isaac was not a perfect man. And Isaac was also wrapped up and embroiled in the problematic situation with those two sons, right? He could have had a hard head about that and said, oh, no, I've been deceived. I guess that I'll just let Esau, despite the mistakes that he's made and despite the fact he doesn't really want it. I'm just going to kind of overlook that and go with it. Was Isaac like that? No, Isaac had faith in God's plan and trusted that God was doing what? Yeah, God, God, through these circumstances, was working that plan. And so when, when the birthright situation came up and when the blessings came up, those blessings, we believe, I, I believe, given by inspiration of God as they're recorded in those scriptures and give the future history of what those guys are going to face, there's no doubt about it. Whether recognized as a prophet or not, Isaac was in the know relative to what God's plan, at least unfolding from where he was, was going to be. And then Jacob, was Jacob a perfect guy? Look, if your name has something to do with being a supplanter or a deceiver, heads up, probably some issues with this guy. Uh, Don't you love it that God, when he really kind of got his life straightened down and got on the right track, God did what to him? He gave him a new name. He gave him a new name. You're not that anymore, you're this. Don't you just love that? Okay, this is also a book that talks about, that stresses the grace of God. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8. Who would read that for us very quickly? You may know it already. When you see it, you will recognize you know it. Genesis 6 and verse 8. Wait, what? Noah found grace in the of. Wait, is there grace in the Old Testament? What does John chapter 1 verse 17 say? Who would read that for us? John 1 and verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace Okay, the law was given by Moses. And we're talking about what books, what law? Well, we're thinking generally about the books that we're studying right here. Okay, the law was given by Moses, but wait a minute, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Does that mean then that grace and truth are only exclusive to Jesus and Moses knew nothing about grace? That's a big question mark for you. It's a Bible class. We're looking for answers. Okay, you say no. Why do we say no? That text said... Uh, Moses, he's responsible for law. Law is oppressive. Uh, the law of sin and death. You sin, you die. Moses gave the Ten Commandments. You didn't keep the Ten Commandments, you're going to lose your soul. Oh, but wait a minute. All those people who were under the law were consigned to death because they didn't have salvation. The blood of bulls and goats will not take away sin. What are we going to do? Oh, enter Jesus Christ who is the seed, the satisfaction of the seed promise. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. So yeah, Jesus is grace truth, but where did the grace of the Old Testament come to play? By the way, what does grace even mean? Okay, you say God's riches at Christ's expense, okay? What did you say? Unmerited favor, okay? So we're talking whether it's Jesus or, or some other thing that God does. When God extends a gift to us that we don't deserve, that's grace. Yes? Okay? I'm looking at this text here, uh, Genesis 6, verse 8. I know that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Explain that to me. What gift did he receive? He wasn't perfect, but he was given the opportunity to live Period. <laughs> okay, yeah. He, he was not perfect. Noah, you know, put him in the list of all those other guys. Not perfect. However, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord in the sense that his determination, just as these other exceptional characters, although not perfect, my determination is to do the will of God. And Noah was such, a, in fact, a preacher of righteousness that when he's told, okay, there's going to be water, rain that's going to come from the windows of the sky, there's going to come up from the ground, there's going to be a great flood that's going to cover the entire earth, even though there had never been such ever. In fact, all the plant life is being watered by what at this point? Dew that rises, okay? Most, 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 Apologists think that the earth was covered with this vapor canopy. So it was like living in the jungle all the time. Very humid and and hot, you know. And so here is Noah who has no experience whatsoever in the boat trade. He, He has no experience with rain or floods. He is told by God, this is what's going to happen. So immediately he concluded what? Well, there's going to be a flood, (laughs) you know, even though I've never seen anything like this before. If God says this is what's going to be, it's going to be. If God says build this contraption, this ark, according to his specifications, not only will I build something like it, I will build something exactly according to the details that God gives me. His application of that truth to his practice is a demonstration of what? It also starts with an F. It's a very familiar word in our study. It is faith. And it is on the basis of that kind of faith that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, guess what? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, right? For by grace you have been saved. How? Through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works lest anyone should boast. You are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. God's got this, okay? But the question is, do I have this? You know, am I going to be faithful to God so that I, like Noah, can be found faithful such that I can receive God's grace? And boy, the grace of God was demonstrated in a scenario that should be very familiar to us. He built the ark. Salvation was where? It was in the ark. If you were outside the ark when the water started to come down, guess what? You were lost. And everybody who had good intentions to get there that last day, once God shut the door of the ark, uh, did they get a pass? Like, did they throw out little life preservers and say, you know what, peace, you won't get the luxury of the ark, but still you'll be saved. Shake your head this way. No. If you were not in the place of salvation, you were not saved. If you were not in the body of the ark, wherein salvation was to be found, you were lost. It doesn't matter how good of a person you were otherwise, if you were not in that place, you were lost. Are there any other examples of grace in the book of Genesis besides the one that actually says that's a matter of grace? You know, you, your mind's probably swimming right now. Like, which one would I choose? Right? Do you have your hand up, or are you just waving at me? <laughs> uh, what about creation? Is is your existence the grace of God? You think your life is a gift? <laughs> I'm not trying to throw a trick question out yet. Um, yeah, my creation. is is a gift of God. Uh, What about what transpires immediately, right? There is sin in that garden. What does God extend to Adam and Eve? Actually extends grace and mercy, right? Grace is when you receive God's unmerited favor. God is giving you something you don't deserve. Mercy is when God doesn't give you what you do deserve. You eat that fruit... Off of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you are going to what? You are going to die. You're going to die. And the death penalty ensued. And did you know something did die that day? Well, apparently there was a substitutionary death, wasn't there? What did they walk out of that garden with? The first, okay. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 21 God clothed them with skins, did he not? Well, where'd that skin come from? Was that that pleather? <laughs> you know, that fake stuff? No, what did God do? He slayed, some, he slayed some animals so that they could go out of that garden. Did that happen later? What was the contention between Cain and Abel? Cain was the tiller of the ground. He offered to God what? What he'd gathered out of the ground. Abel was a tender to sheep. He offered a blood sacrifice. What was God looking for? That created such contention that what happened? Somebody lost their faith there for a minute, but somebody did not lose their faith. That was Abel. And Abel is described in Hebrews chapter 11. Yes, as an exemplar of our faith. So we've got the grace of God. Um, We've got a covenant relationship. God establishes covenant relationships. Okay, let's think about covenants that are found in this book. There is what's referred to as the Edenic covenant. That's found in chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Who would read that for us? Very quickly, because we only have like three minutes. Genesis chapter two verses fifteen to seventeen. "Of every tree the but of the tree of knowledge good and evil you shall not eat that you eat, you shall surely Okay, was that commandment for all of humanity? It was for the time, wasn't it? Trick question, gotcha. Um, Yeah, for the time, everybody who lived just happens to be Adam and Eve. Everybody who lives on the planet is under one law. And you break this law, what happens? You die. That was a covenant that God made with Adam and Eve. Are we still under that covenant? No, because he made that covenant with Adam and Eve. Okay. Then there's the... Adamic covenant. That's in Genesis three, verse fifteen. Who would read that for us? I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. it shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his head. Okay, that is a covenant. Do you benefit from that covenant? Yes, you do, because that covenant is actually fulfilled in. Jesus Christ, and every time someone has their sins washed away right here, they have become part of the seed who is Jesus Christ. When you, boy, this this thing is huge because when you are in Christ, you are in the starts with S, ends with a D, and has two E's in it. You are part of the seed problem. Whoa. Mind blown. Wait, when I enter into Jesus Christ, I enter into the seed. Therefore, I become party to the seed promise. Wow. So that still benefits you and me, right? Way back there with Adam. Then there's the Noahic covenant in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 18. Who would read that one for us? Genesis 6, verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you, if you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Okay, who was that directed to? That covenant. Was that for all of us? Can you get in the ark? Uh, not specifically so, so, okay. That that covenant was the promise that God made to them. I'm going to preserve you in that ark, okay? Um, there's another Noahic covenant. Covenant. That's in actually chapter 9. It begins at verse 8 and goes through verse 17. Who could read that for us very quickly? Nine. Genesis eight. 9, verses 8 through 17. Then God spoke the Noah and said to and to his sons with son, son, son. And as for me, because I'm established, I covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, and all that go out from the heart, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God saith, this is my sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generation. I set my rainbow in the clouds and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between man and earth. Okay, you can stop there. Every time you see a rainbow, just remember the promise of the covenant. Was that for us too? He said, not just you, every living creature, everything that lives from now on, every time you see that rainbow, you're to be reminded of what? God's promise not to, once again, destroy the earth with a flood. Now, is God going to destroy the earth? He definitely is, but not with a flood. It's going to be with fire, fire, fire. Okay, so I'm just saying, I see lots of rainbows around these days. And I just think every single time, don't you, of God's great promise that he's not going to destroy the earth with a flood. Isn't that wonderful? I'm being very sarcastic. But I think it is wonderful that God made that promise. I think it is awful that it has been appropriated to represent something that is, to God, very blasphemous. Okay, and then uh, I'll just give you the text. There is the Abra- Abrahamic uh, covenants. Uh, you can go back to Genesis chapter 12, the first three verses that describes it initially. Uh, Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 8, actually includes with detail the land promise that was ultimately satisfied in Joshua chapter 21, verses 44 to 45, and, or 46. Go down to the end of the chapter twenty one and then um, also chapter twenty two and verse sixteen to eighteen all those are the restating of the same seed promise that God had made to Abraham that ultimately was satisfied in Jesus Christ in Galatians chapter three, verse sixteen, and that I just just shared with you is is something that we can be party to when we obey the gospel. Well, believe it or not time 's up we 're going to have to go. Thank you so much for your attention, your participation, and for soaking up all this good stuff. Next week, your assignment, read the book of Exodus, okay? Nod your head this way. All right, let's have a prayer, then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for the privilege and opportunity to uh, look at your word, to discuss it, to see the great things that are there. Thank you for building faith in us that is like the faith of so many great ones who've gone before, and help us Help us to realize faith does not require perfection on our part. And help us, Lord, to to trust in your grace and your mercy as those who have gone before us. Thank you for our salvation, for all that you make possible in that. And Lord, please please help us to carry these things with us so that we can incorporate them into not just our knowledge, but the ability to express these truths to others, to encourage them in their obedience to the gospel and development of their faith. Uh, Bless us with safe travel home, and if it's your will, you'll give us a new day. We pray that we'll have great opportunities to seize and to bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen.